Hello, friends. As we begin today, uh, I am aware of some tenderness that I'm carrying into this time around things going on in the United Methodist Church, which I hope we get to talk about a little more directly in the future. Um, but I think most everyone knows there's division and churches that are deciding to disaffiliate um, with the denomination, the family uh, in the church that I've been a part of my whole life. And and that's just become very real recently, and that's something I'm bringing as I come. And, and what it makes me think of is just the importance of pausing sometimes before we hear the scripture and hear a sermon and and just becoming aware of where we are, like what what's going on inside of us that we bring to this time. The good news is that no matter what we are bringing, maybe we have anger or sadness or apathy or indifference or a host of things, but the good news is we can come as we, as we are. And it, I think it just helps a lot. It helps us enter into a place of listening and learning when we can be aware of, of where we are in this moment. And so let's just take a couple of deep breaths here in this time, even um, if you haven't already, um, so that we can take the temperature a little bit of ourselves and enter this time with God's help. Oh God, we know that your good news is not just information that comes into our brains, but it is a living word in the form of, of Jesus Christ that enters into our whole bodies, our whole being. And so as we listen, we pray, oh God, that you would move through the power of your Holy Spirit in us. And that you would meet us where we need to be met, that you would teach us where we need to learn, that you'd heal us where we need to be mended, that you'd send us where we need to be sent. Come, O oh God, and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 15 is what we are reading from today. And the more familiar I become with this chapter of Scripture, the more I realize that this, this chapter, just by itself, is revolutionary theologically. Um, what it says to us about God, what Jesus is teaching us in this passage, um, is such amazing news that still shocks me after trying to follow Jesus for decades. It still blows my mind. Hold on one second. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So this is the very beginning of Luke's um, 15th chapter. This is the same chapter where we get the story of the prodigal son as well. It's probably the most famous story in in Luke 15. But um, here's the first part of it, verses 1 through 7. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. They were saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me! 
For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Thanks be to God for this good news. Amen. And so let's kind of set the table here. Let's set the scene and, and try to put our minds, our imaginations in this, in this place where Jesus tells this story. And what we're told uh, for the setting is that people are coming to listen to Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. And these people, these are particular people, they have labels <laughs> that have been placed upon them that whoever was reading Luke or hearing Luke in its original form would have known what these labels meant and who it referred to. And here these labels are, these are tax collectors and sinners. Now you probably know this already. Tax Sorry about that. Another interruption got cut off by a phone. Now I'm on Do Not Disturb. Sorry. So tax collectors and sinners, as you probably know, um, refers to a group of people who religiously were, were outcasts. These were people that were known for, for some reason to be um, breaking the law of Moses or, or the Torah, God's commandments. Um, tax collectors were, were, were kind of of a different sort. Not only were they charging interest, which was against the Jewish law, but, but also just were hated because they were working for the empire. Um, they were collecting money, usually unfairly, uh, on, on behalf of the oppressor. And so tax collectors and sinners represent those who in the Jewish community um, would have been outcasts or not counters, not, in, not those who are insiders, not those who belong. And so the fact that tax collectors and sinners are coming near to listen to him, the way that that's written implies that there is a willful desire on the part of these outcasts, those who are not inside the religious community and counted as um, the worthy, um, there's a desire among them to hear what Jesus has to say. They're coming, they are not being cajoled. They're not, they're, Jesus hasn't come to them necessarily. They're coming to him. So some reputation precedes Jesus that has caused people that are the outcasts in the religious communities to want to hear what he has to say. I just want to throw that out there, that, that Jesus had built up a reputation, that this, the things people were saying about him made these particular folks, those who were outcasts, want to hear what he had to say. He, they, they, they came to hear what he had to say, meaning they desired to, to have the good news that he was proclaiming, and they wanted to hear it with their own ears. Um, something that Jesus was doing and saying was good news to them. And how key is that when we think about um, when we think about our neighbors? We think about mission. Um, but then there's another group. This is a mixed audience because also with him are Pharisees and scribes. These are insiders. These are religious leaders. These are people whose uh, work it is to make sure that the law, um, that the code um, of God's holiness is kept, that it's that it's held up, and there is a beauty in God's law. And the Pharisees and scribes were respected for holding up God's law, um, and 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 it was a way of loving God. But there's also definitely that they are kind of the the gatekeepers. They're the ones helping make clear who is in and who is out. And so they say, this fellow, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
and they're grumbling about that. That's a problem for them. And so there's this mixed audience of people who are the outcasts um, of the religious community, then the, and then the insiders of the religious community. And Jesus has to speak, and he does this amazing thing where he's able to give a parable that speaks to both of these audiences. I want you to imagine that usually, at least as a preacher, you know, at least I feel like everybody in the room is, um, you know, wants to hear about Jesus or hear the gospel. Uh, but, but here there's quite a bit of difference. These are people at odds with each other that often didn't even want to be in the same room. Um, and, and so uh, a little more background real quick before we go into what Jesus says. Uh, for the Pharisees and the, the scribes, their understanding of sin uh, has a lot to do with cleanliness, with purity. So when they say that Jesus is eating with these people, that's a problem because of purity law. Jesus is associating and sharing meal. His hands are touching the same food. Um, and he's, he's getting dirty by being with them. And this is a problem. This is a sign that Jesus is unclean, that he is not pure if he is with people who are not pure. And so sin was understood to be something, holiness was understood to be something about these purity codes, these keep, keeping clean, and that God wanted us to be clean so that we could be with God. To be with God meant we had to be clean. That's why there's ritual washing. That's why there's sacrifices that are made. The blood that purifies, the sprinkling, the temple cult, all of that stuff is meant to lead us um, into purification so that we can be with God. And, and that, so that's where they're coming from. That's their understanding of sin. And their understanding of reconciliation is that um, that those who are unclean need to be made clean. They need to do whatever they need to do to be purified so that they can come before God. And here Jesus is welcoming these people without that having happened. And that that is the issue. Um, and so we have these mixed audience, once again. And Jesus wants to say what he thinks about sin and reconciliation to this mixed audience. He wants to both speak to the tax collectors and sinners who have come to listen to them, him because they believe he has something good uh, to say that they want to hear. But he's also speaking to these Pharisees and um, these scribes and, and has something to say about sin and relationship and, and reconciliation. So what does Jesus have to say? <laughs> what Jesus has to say is that for him, Sin is about separation in relationship. These three stories, one is about a lost coin, the other is the prodigal son that you might be familiar with. This one is about the lost sheep. In each of these stories, Jesus is talking about separation as he's addressing the issue of sinners. His concern is relationships, that there are relationships that are separated, people or things or animals that belong together and have been separated. And so from in these parables, Jesus is, is helping us see how God primarily understands the problem of sin. That the problem of sin is not first about cleanliness uh, or about morals or about who's in and who's out. Sin is about separation, that something has separated what God wants to be together. So God wants unity. God wants communion. God wants oneness. 
God wants to be with God's creatures. God wants God's creatures to be together. And when there's separation, that is the issue. Separation. And this is what, what sin actually does. But, you know, that for Jesus, what sin does to us is not, again, primarily makes us unclean or sin makes us bad or sin makes us guilty. Here, there's actually very little or anything to do with guilt or blame or moral, um, moral failing. This is not about, for Jesus, moral failing or about blame or guilt. Those are things, they're important, but that is not what Jesus chooses to talk about here. What he wants to focus on is that sin has separated people or things that belong together. Um, I, I, I remember, since this is the anniversary, um, 9-11, that that was a moment, even as a, I was in college and when 9-11 happened, I remember the weeks that followed the feeling of unity. Just the collective grief and loss, the, the love and prayers of, of the world um, for America, and the sense that there was a time there where, in our pain, we just wanted to care for each other. We wanted to have this collective outpouring of support uh, for one another as a country. Um, and then I remember that things started a few months, maybe weeks down the road, divisions started. People started hating. Re revenge and vengeance started to be important. How we were going to do that, who we were going to blame. The pain went into anger, and the anger led to division, and division led to sin, to war, to violence, to hatred. I remember that. And that similarly happened around COVID. For me, right when COVID hit, there was a month there. There were a few weeks where we were all caught into this and felt like there was more unity than we'd had in a long time. But then very quickly, that division entered back in, and suddenly there became these just sides around COVID, you know, which side were you on and what did you believe about this or that? And, um, and so I, I bring up those stories because they show us some of this in a very uh, visceral way. We can feel what sin does to separate us, that we can feel when that happens because we can feel when we're one. We can feel when there's unity and, and connection. And so that, that is what sin does. It separates us from God. It separates us from uh, ourselves. It separates us from creation. It separates us from one another. And this is what God cares about. Jesus is saying this is what the problem of sin is about. It's about being lost, separated, about not belonging to God anymore, feeling like we don't belong to each other, being lost from family, being lost from ourselves, being vulnerable, being alone. The, this is what sin does. And this is the part of sin <laughs> that Jesus chooses to spend the entire chapter telling these powerful parables about. Again, Jesus here isn't interested in fault or blame or moral failing. The main issue, not that those aren't issues, but the main issue is, is coming back together. Sin separates us, it divides us, it keeps us from God and one another. And so for, for Jesus, the problem isn't the sinner or their sin. The bigger problem is that sin has separated us. So sin is the problem, not, not the particular sin of a person, but that it's keeping us from being together. So, so in other words, Jesus' chief concern, according to these parables, 
is reunification and reconciliation. And sin, sin is what's keeping us from having that. So while Jesus wants to end sin, forgive sin, cleanse us from sin, right? Um, uh, what are the other words? You know, like wipe away sin. All of it is for the bigger purpose of reconciliation. So just to be clear, um, disease, injury, brokenness, failing, we, we don't know what got this lamb, for instance, or this, this, this sheep lost, um, and it doesn't seem to matter. How did they got? How did they get lost? Are they diseased? Do they have an injury? Are they broken? All of that may be an issue, but restoration to the shepherd and restoration to the flock is first. So, if there's going to be healing, if there's going to be other things, if there's going to be uh, correcting a wrong, restoration is first to the shepherd and the community. That seems to be what Jesus cares about. I want to spend the next few minutes talking about what I think is the most striking, unbelievable, you know, just scandalous, uh, transformative thing that happens in this story. And that is that the primary character in the story, as Jesus wants to talk about sinners, is the shepherd. It's not the sheep that sinned. It's not what the sheep did wrong. It, it's the shepherd. And the shepherd is not, again, fundamentally concerned with righting that wrong as, as it is with, with uh, reconciliation, with reunification. And so the shepherd as the primary actor is scandalous in the sense that he's saying, you know, the sheep got lost. And yet it's the shepherd who goes and leaves the 99 behind and looks after or goes after that one until he finds it. So this labor of searching, this sacrifice of, of time and energy and effort is done by the shepherd. Even though the shepherd didn't lose the sheep, the sheep got lost, but the shepherd does all of this. And so the shepherd who we take to mean here, and I'll just say I, I take to, to be representing God, is um, going through all of this to make reconciliation possible, to, to make a relationship first. And so here, here's what I want you to hear as we close up. Um, Jesus sees sin relationally. God sees sin relationally. And what I mean by that is the primary concern that God has when it comes to our sin and the world's sin is how it has broken our relationships. And the primary healing, salvation that God wants to bring about is the restoration of relationships. God does care about holiness and um, about moral um, righteousness and doing what is good. God cares about justice. God cares about um, uh, doing, you know, doing what is right. God, I, we've talked about judgment um, before, and these things matter. But all of it is about love, and it's about relationships being restored. That is God's deepest hope. And Jesus, God, enters into the problem of sin because God values relationships. God 
And, and what this means is it says to us something profound about God. God so desires us. God desires reconciliation with us. God desires that we be reconciled to one another, that God comes in at God's own expense to, to make things right. And I would want you to hear today that if there is any part of you that is lost, there are parts of me that feel lost, that feel isolated, that feel separated from God, separated from my neighbor, that this also applies to our wholeness. It's not just the person who's lost. It's every part of us that's lost. God is seeking out reconciliation. So if there's any part of you that is just like, where am I? What's going on? I don't feel connected. I don't feel reconciled to God in this area of my life or with people in this area. There's something broken here. There's a separation here. God sees that, and God, according to this parable, is actively seeking to make things right and to reconcile. And God will keep searching, it says, until he finds. And then I want you to hear this. This is cool. It's just a cool way of looking at it. God rejoices when reconciliation happens. If we want to know what, what makes God light up, what makes God dance? What makes God happy? Where, when does God get excited? When does God want to throw a party? What makes God gleeful and filled with joy? It's when something that had been separated is reconciled. When something that had been broken is brought back together. When things that had been at, at odds are brought into communion once again. And so for any lost place in you to be made whole brings God joy. For any part of our communities that are at odds around racism or around politics or around nations at odds, when those, when those wounds are healed, when people are brought together in love, God rejoices when people feel far from God, when they feel separated from the community, when they don't feel like they have family, when people are, are alone and, and isolated and they are brought back in to, to the shepherd, to God and to others. God has joy and God celebrates. It honors God. And so let us Number one, let us be a church. Let us be people that, that are encouraging one another in the good news that God is seeking all of us out and that God wants us to be reconciled to God and to one another. And let us be people that help the shepherd, that, that are saying, yes, I'll come. I'll come search. I'll come try to find those who feel left out, those who, who feel alone, those who feel disconnected, those who feel like they don't have family, those who, who have been told they need to stay out, who, who feel like they haven't been clean, that they've morally failed, that there's all these reasons they can't, that yes, God, send us and our neighborhoods and, and our communities to, to be um, like God, like, like the one that we're inspired by and have been saved by, and to be a part of that ministry. So if there's any place you feel lost, any place people in your community or neighborhood feel lost, any place at work where people feel lost, know that God is searching like the shepherd and that God is working at his own expense for, for reconciliation and that we 
get to enjoy that, be blessed by that, and be a part of that. Thanks be to God. Amen.